Welcome to Stand Alone. I'm Sabrina Lloyd, founder and CEO of Lloyd Agencies, a multi-million dollar company that ranks as one of the most successful in the insurance industry. My passion is empowering people to become the leaders that they were meant to be. With each episode, I'll teach you how to go from ordinary to extraordinary, how to think like no one else, how to stand alone. It's time we create massive success for ourselves. Welcome to Stand Alone. Wow, wow, wow. Do we have a very, very special guest in our presence. And so if if you know anything about someone who is the quintessential disruptor, you know who Naveen Jain is. You know, when you think about in today's world, everybody wants to do well. We all have something tugging at us, you know, to inspire us to go above and beyond. But there's few that actually execute on it and do it. And Naveen Jain is one of those individuals. I just want to open up by saying you are listed as one of the top entrepreneurs in the world. Entrepreneur of the Year, Ellis Island Medal of Honor top 50 philanthropists of the year. You're the CEO of some amazing organizations, Infospace, Moon Express, Viome, which is a company that I am actually using and I love it and I recommend it. But really what you are in your core is you are an entrepreneur and our audience, Naveen, they are people that really have to stand alone, meaning that we have to lead our lives. We can't just go with the grain and have our life fall into default. And so I wanted to break this down with you because Naveen, your eyes see what most don't see. And so why that's so incredibly important is because if you want to elevate your life, you have to be able to do this. You know, in 2000, there was an interview that you did and you said, we are building the information and commerce operating system for tomorrow and the next century. You predicted that the phones would be the vehicle for emails, stocks, before the iPhone ever came to fruition, you know, a couple of years ago, you predicted that entrepreneurs are going to be the new superpowers. And in 2021, you are right again. So, you know, being in your presence, we want to see what you see. We want a window into how you think, because you came to this country with nothing. And I don't want to say nothing because that's not true. What you had inside of you was amazing. And you became a billionaire because you think like a billionaire. You think like a billionaire. So impart your wisdom on us today. And I want to kick off the first question, Naveen, by, by asking you, you know, when you think about that abundance mindset, because you, you have this, you know, why is this so important for today? Because we have so much access today. There's never been a better stage for human beings to excel, but we cannot excel with a scarcity mindset. Can you kick us off? Because I believe that is your greatest wealth, your abundance mindset. Well, first of all, Sabrina, I don't even know, um, I, you know what to say anymore. Your introduction is just uh, 
beyond words uh, makes me not only feel uh, that I, I hope I can live up to the expectation that you set out. And um, I was going to say that it's really hard to make a brown guy blush. But when you start reading the things like that, it makes me blush, right? So with that, I just want people to know that entrepreneurship is this myth that people have created is about starting a company and about doing things that no one can do before. And these are some exceptionally exceptional human beings that are created by God in some very special mold. And the, the answer really is every one of us can get there. It is a simply a learned skill. And that learned skill tells you that once you develop a mindset of solving a problem, not just simply talking about a problem, not coming up with a solution to the problem, but going out and actually doing it, you become an entrepreneur. So entrepreneurs are problem solvers, right? When you look at the reason the entrepreneurs tend to have this abundance mindset is in their mind, if you think of a scarcity, scarcity tells you that if someone else has it, you can't have it because it's scarce. So only few people can have it. Where the abundance mindset says is that every one of us can have it, right? And there is this idea that people have that human beings are so greedy. It doesn't matter how much we have. We always want more and there'll always be scarcity gets created because we will start hoarding things. And what I realize is that actually that's just completely not true. If we believe something is abundance, we actually share it with everyone and we never hoard it. Let me give you an example, air. Air is in abundance. We can go to a sports stadium, 75,000 of us can breathe the same air and we never slap the person next to us and say, hey, you just took a deep breath, you're breathing my air. We don't say that. We say, let's all take a deep breath, let's all enjoy because we believe air is in abundance. Now imagine if the energy was the next air. Right? That means, just think about it for a second. Every 90 minutes, more solar energy falls on planet Earth than we use in the whole year. It's simply a matter of conversion. Once we find the conversion to take the solar energy, convert them into useful form of energy, the, actually the energy will become abundance. And once you have something abundant, what happens? It becomes democratized. It becomes demonetized. That means it is everyone can have it and everyone can have it at no cost. And if energy is free, guess what happens? The, the water becomes, literally the clean water becomes the next thing. You can desalinize the water. You can even distill the dirtiest water and have a clean water, right? So the, think about what as humanity we fight over. Today we fight over land, we fight over water, and we fight over energy. And if you just look up in the sky, it realizes that the land that we fight over is not just is not scarce, it is in so much abundance that we could possibly live anywhere. So our planet Earth or our spacecraft is literally is tiny dot in our own solar system. Our solar system is invisible in our galaxy. Our galaxy is invisible 
into our just Milky Way galaxy. And if you think about our Milky Way galaxy is invisible into our universe and our universe could be invisible into this multiverse. The only reason we believe the land has value because somehow we have come to believe, believe that we can only live on planet earth. What if we could live anywhere we wanted, whether it's a moon, Mars, beyond our solar system into different galaxy, into different universe altogether? Where is that scarcity of land? There's more water on those asteroids and meteorites than we can ever need, right? There is more energy that's out there that we can ever use. And it is in our mind that we believe these things are scarce. And once you start to believe things are actually plentiful and abundance, you actually start to live a life of abundance. So it starts with a simple mindset and a belief system. And as we go along, I'm going to explain that, that as entrepreneurs, there is nothing that you and I can't solve. There is no problem that entrepreneurs can, cannot solve, but for their imagination. Imagination is the only limit to what we can't achieve. Despite what people tell us, despite everyone setting a limit for us, even my mother who loved me so much, Sabrina, she used to always tell me, you can do anything you want. And then she had this magical thing, sky is the limit. She set that limit that no one can cross that sky until I grew up and I realized that sky doesn't exist. Sky is nothing but a figment of our imagination. It doesn't really exist, right? And then what she was really trying to tell me is, if you believe boundary exists, that is the boundary you create for yourself. And once you get there, you will realize there was no boundary. It was all in your own mind. Wow, this is incredible. You know, what I love is something that, you know, I can really relate to. And for a lot of people in business today, when you think about expanding your thinking, you talk about this a lot. And I always called it something different, cross-pollination, right? I studied my whole life in science to become yeah. a doctor. And then I landed in business and did very well. And so I apply science to business and it helps yeah. me. And you do the exact same thing. Like you started in information in tech. You went yeah. and you literally are the only company that is allowed to leave the, the low orbit and to go to the moon. So you apply information to science to go to the moon, but you didn't stop there. You then said, well, we can go all the way there, but we can also go all the way in our gut, right? That, yeah. that consolation that's within us. And yeah. you could really, and your mind is connecting all the dots. And so I wanted to really dive into this because a lot of people today, they don't have the breadth of knowledge to see, and then they get overwhelmed because they're not an expert. Could you dive into this, like why it's okay to be a non-expert and that can actually help you to grow your knowledge? I think, Ms. Sabrina, I think you already answered the question that once you are expert at something, the best you can do is to be 10% better than anybody else in the world. You can be, you become an incrementalist. As an incrementalist, you can be the best in the world in that field by 10% or 15%, but you can never be 10 times better or 100 times better than anyone else because every expert has taken the foundation 
for granted because that's what makes them an expert. It takes a non-expert to challenge the foundation of what experts have taken it for granted. And that's how the disruption happens. That's where the 10X or 100X changes that uh, happens. And I think, you know, if you think about every industry, so I'm gonna actually give you a framework, Sabrina, I think you might enjoy. And it's especially your audience that every time I start a company, I ask myself, three questions. Why this? Why now? Why me? And this is literally a framework. It doesn't matter what I do. So I say, why this? The question of why this is uh, simple. God forbid you are actually successful in solving the problem that you set out to do. Would it somehow help a billion people live a better life? And the reason I ask that is not because I'm a philanthropist and I want to help a billion people, but actually as a capitalist, I know that if you can find anything that can help a billion people live a better life, you can create a $500 billion company. But you don't go start and say, I want to create a $500 billion company. What should I do? You want to stay focused on helping people live better because that's what creates a $500 billion company. That means have a solution that improves people life, people's lives and you can create a massive enterprise. And I'm going to apply this, by the way, the same, the same principle and same framework to our latest company that I started while and how I actually applied the same work, framework. The second question was, why now? Why now is what had changed in the last one to two years, but most importantly, what do you expect to change in the next three to five years that will allow you to solve this problem at scale in the future by intercepting the technology that are actually coming up. That means you're not using yesterday's technologies to solve tomorrow's problem. You're using tomorrow's technology to solve tomorrow's problem, right? So you're intercepting the technology at the right time. The last part is why me? Why me is what questions are you asking that are different from what everyone else in the industry is asking? Because the questions you ask is the problem you solve. That means if you're asking the same question that, that everyone is asking, you're solving the same problem in the same way that everyone else is solving, right? So let's go back that you mentioned my latest venture while. We said, what if? And in this framework, by the way, just I forgot to mention that in this framework, you never focus on how. The minute you say how, it limits to what you can do. So you never focus on how you say, why and what, right? So we said, okay, what if we can prevent and reverse chronic diseases, cancers, and aging? Would this somehow help a billion people solve and live a better life? The answer is 7.8 billion people check mark that one, right? And when I say chronic diseases, you mean I mean obesity, diabetes, heart diseases, depression, anxiety, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, cancers, every type of chronic disease, including aging. If we can find a way to prevent or reverse, it helps all humanity. Good thing to do. Second thing is why now? And why now was really interesting. We, we saw that what would it take to solve the problem? So this, in this thing, why now is, as I mentioned, what do we expect to change in the next three to five years? So here the question I asked myself was, to solve this problem, what 
problems have to be solved? What technologies will have to be developed for us to be able to prevent and reverse chronic diseases, right? So first thing we saw was, okay, if we're going to solve this problem, we have to be able to digitize the human body. And Sabrina is saying, of course we do. <laughs> so we have to be able to understand everything that's happening inside the human body at a biochemical level. And if we can do that at a scale, even then, then you say, okay, then what will be the next problem? Well, we have to be able to analyze massive amount of data without having access to supercomputers. Well, okay, that, let's assume that can be done. What's the third thing? Well, third thing is, would AI or artificial intelligence be self-learning and powerful enough to be able to make sense of massive amount of data and come back and tell you, this is what's happening for you to have this disease. And this is what you can do to actually prevent or reverse this disease. So we say, okay, the cost of sequencing or digitizing the human body, when I started the company was about $1,200. And we were absolutely convinced in the next three to five years that cost had come down from a billion dollars to thousand dollars is going to come down to ten, you know hundred dollars in the next three to five years. And we said, look, hundred dollars is a good price point. I think we can make it work. It turns out actually cost came down to about twenty dollars. And so wow. even though we thought we were ten times or twelve times optimistic, it turned out we were actually five times pessimistic because technology was absolutely plummeting. When we started using AWS, the cloud computing, or to process massive amount of data, it costs us about $42, $43 per sample to process. We knew that was too high, and we knew that cost would come down to about $10. Well, it turned out it came down to about $1.50. Right. So as everything we knew the costs were coming down, they were coming down faster than we actually anticipated. AI, in fact, became so powerful that we can now run tens of thousands of unsupervised algorithm and come up and say, this is what tells you you have a cancer. This tells you you have this disease. And by the way, here's what you can do about it. So that timing turned out to be the perfect thing. And we obviously started the company because we believed it was going to happen. The last part was probably the toughest part. Not being an expert is an advantage. And a, to some extent, most people think of, oh my God, how am I going to solve this problem? Everyone in the industry was asking exactly the same question. What is your genes? What is the DNA for the human body? And they somehow thought if they understood the DNA, they'll be able to solve these problems. And I'm thinking here that I have no idea what the DNA is. All I know is it never changes. So what I realized was if somebody were to measure my DNA today, and then a year later, I gained 400 pounds, my DNA is still the same. Now let's assume I can develop diabetes. I develop depression. I develop a heart disease. My DNA still hasn't changed. In fact, what's really interesting is I die. Guess what? My DNA still doesn't change. The DNA of a dead person is the same as the DNA of a person when they were healthy. So DNA can't even tell you you're dead or alive, let alone you're healthy or sick. Mm -hmm. So I asked people, I said, well, if your genes are not changing, what changing? Well, they said, oh, you should know gene expression is the one that's always changing. What does someone who doesn't know anything? He said, great, we're going to go measure gene expression. And that's how we say, all right, we're not going to measure gene. We're going to focus on gene expression. Then we said, would that solve the problem? They said, no, 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 no. 
Now I'm reading all the literature. Liter I'm information junkie. So I go on reading all the uh, scholar.google.com, right? I'm now typing diabetes and, uh, you know, what causes diabetes? And everyone is starting to talk about something called microbiome. So if you Google Parkinson's and gut microbiome, the Alzheimer and gut microbiome, the diabetes and obesity and depression and anxiety, every single disease, including every cancer, can now directly be connected to gut microbiome. As soon as you realize that, you somehow think it's a Eureka movement. I found something. And that to me is what I would call a moronic movement, right? If everybody believes that is a problem, and there are 10 companies looking at the gut microbiome. Why is the problem not getting solved? And then it occurred to me to go back to the basics. What are the, what questions are these companies asking when they're looking at the gut microbiome? And turns out everyone was asking exactly the same question, which is, I want to know what organisms are in your gut. I want to know what organisms from the people who have diabetes. I want to know what organisms they have when they have depression. And they somehow thought if they can find what organisms are different, somehow they'll be able to solve the problem. Now, as you mentioned, I had no idea of the biology. In my mind, and you're not supposed to laugh here, I thought these organisms are like little humans inside my body. And I thought, God, these little humans are doing all these things out there. What if? Just like human beings, they could be thousands of different organisms producing exactly the same thing that is causing me to be sick. So I can take two people who have diabetes. They can have completely different organism, yet producing the same toxin that makes me sick. So instead of focusing on who they are, what if we focus on what they are producing? Wouldn't that actually solve the problem? Because in my opinion, the same organism could do something good in Sabrina's gut and can do something really bad in my gut because a completely different environment. Your gut environment is different from mine. And that's literally what I thought would happen because you can take a bad person, put them in a good environment, they do good things. And you take a good person, put them in a bad environment, they do bad things. So it's really what they do is what matters, not who they are. And so we said, we are going to actually focus on finding out what gut microbes are producing and we're gonna look at the human gene expression and we will be able to solve the problem. And that's literally how we started the company. Found that it took us about a six months because there was nobody in the world that actually figured out how to do the gene expression and nor could we. It was a technology that people thought was impossible to do. It turned out there was a biodefense project at Los Alamos National Lab where they were working on actually solving this problem because they thought if there is a, somehow a bad actor were to get hold of something biological, how would we develop an antidote for it? And the only way we could do it is to figure out what these organisms have produced so we can create antidote. So they developed all this technology for biodefense. I managed to get our hands on that technology and it started wild, right? Now, fast forward five years, six years now, Here's what happens. Now we have analyzed over 300,000 people, Sabrina, and amazing things happen. When we analyze your gut and when we analyze your body, we are able to now not only tell you what is your immune health, what is your gut health, what is your cellular health, what is your mitochondrial health, what's your biological age, and then tell you what foods you should eat and why, 
what foods you should avoid and why, what nutrients your body needs in what dosages, right? So for example, when I did my first test, it tells me don't eat broccoli, don't eat uh, cabbage and Brussels sprout. And I'm thinking, I thought they were healthy food. I'm vegetarian, what else would I eat? Well, it turns out it said, not only your gut health is poor, specifically in, inside the gut health, it told me my sulfide production is very high and sulfide is highly inflammatory. And these foods contain very high amount of sulfate. So when you're eating these foods, thinking they are healthy, they're actually harming. They are causing more inflammation. It told me not to eat a spinach because the oxalate in the spinach is not being digested by my gut microbes because the oxalate, oxalate pathways are very, very weak. That means if I don't stop eating spinach, it's gonna end up as a kidney stone. Okay. It told me not to eat all the protein that I thought I was eating to build up my muscles. He said, your protein is actually not getting digested. It's going in your gut and these microbes are fermenting it and they're releasing ammonia that is causing high inflammation. If you want to eat protein, then you should start taking these digestive enzymes in this quantity. And that's literally by simply changing that, my immune health is went up significantly. My gut health improved. My biological age came down from 62, my chronological age, now down to 53. So I'm nine years younger now than I chronologically. And I'm, I'm absolutely convinced by the time I'm 70, my biological age could come down to 40. So it's really is the idea of reversing aging is not you don't get old. You actually do want to keep getting chronologically older, but biologically you want to stay becoming younger and younger, right? And that's literally another magical thing we did was once we realized that what people needed that uh, I need 12 milligrams of curcumin. I need 17 milligrams of ber uh, berberine. I need 22 milligrams of elderberry. I need 18 milligrams of amylase. It literally takes all those ingredients in that quantity and makes those capsules for me individually every month. And as my body changes, my nutrition needs change, guess what? Every month we rechange your capsules when you do a retest. So every time you retest, we say, oh, now you don't need this, you need this. And we actually make those new capsules for you, right? So it's amazing. Every probiotic, every prebiotic, every vitamin, mineral, herbs, digestive enzymes, amino acids, food extracts, whatever you need, we put them up for you and make them for you. And that to me was our first part. And based on that, what we learned, Sabrina, that in four months, People's clinical score for IBS, which is 15% of population that suffers from it, went down by 40%. Their depression scores measured by PHQ-9 went down by 36%. Their anxiety scores came down by 32%. Their diabetes risk measure, measured by HbA1c came down by 30%. And now imagine food as a medicine to actually be able to prevent or reverse these chronic diseases. And to me, that's magic. And then going forward, since you're a doctor, I'm gonna now tell you what else we have done. So <laughs> from, but you know, my point is you understand the basic yeah. science, right? Yeah. We took this data and now we have 
300,000 people, we now understand what are the biomarkers for people who have the different diseases. So now we can predict before you have a disease, hey, you are moving towards people who have a heart, going to have a heart disease, or you're moving away from people who are going to have a heart disease. So you can see where you are in the spectrum and you can see, are you moving towards a disease or moving away from a disease? That's called predictive biomarkers. Third is early diagnostics. We just got FDA breakthrough device designation to detect stage one oral cancer, stage one throat cancer, simply by spitting on a tube. You spit in a tube and we can tell you with 97% specificity that you have a cancer, a stage one cancer. Today, the only way you detect these cancers is literally a dentist rubs the finger on your gum and say, I don't feel anything. They touch your throat and say, I, I don't think I feel anything here. By the time you feel the golf ball, you got a stage three cancer. Right? And that's literally just what they do today. In our case, you spit and we can tell you whether you have cancer or not. The fourth part of our business is prognostic now. That means once we know you have a disease, can we predict which drug is going to work and which drug is not going to work? So we just published a paper, Sabrina, where we are able to say that if you have a diabetes, if you take metformin, is it going to work or is it not going to work? And now we're doing the same thing, by the way, for uh, immunotherapy for, uh, to see if it's going to work for you or not, or would chemotherapy work for you or not? So which drugs are going to work for different diseases? When you have an autoimmune disease, would this biologic work for you or would this not work for you? The last part is the most interesting part, which is therapeutics. I mean, can we develop a solution for the diseases that have never been uh, drugs for, right? So for example, today, when you have an autoimmune disease, you know what they do today? They don't find out why you have a disease. They simply give you auto the immune system suppression. They suppress your immune system so you don't feel the symptom, not cure it. And now you have to take it for the rest of your life. We, in fact, discovered for people who have an autoimmune disease called ankylosing spondylitis that attacks your joints, there was an organism that actually was biomimicking the same protein as the um, a joint protein, only in people whose blood transcripts were HLA type B27, and specifically the what type of protein that was being produced. We actually went to a large pharmaceutical company, and now they're developing a vaccine against uh, autoimmune diseases to prevent it from happening in the first place. We did the same thing for a cancer. We found the underlying reasons why people were developing colorectal cancer. And we actually now are developing a vaccine for preventing for colorectal cancer from happening in the first place, right? So I mean, think about a company by a person who didn't even know what genes and gene expression was. And now looking at developing these therapeutics that biotech companies couldn't figure it out simply by using the knowledge that we learned from a big data so remember my previous company, Intellius, we were collecting massive amount of data about human beings and trying to identify who was who. We taking exactly the same approach and saying, let's apply that to all the biochemical activities in the human body. Even though it looks like a healthcare problem, to me, it is a big data problem. Once you know all the symptoms you have, all the disease you have, all the drugs you're taking, and you have all the biological data, you are basically applying the big data to essentially uh, healthcare rather than healthcare to big data. You you said this, you said, think like a software engineer, not like a rocket scientist when you were yes. going to the moon 
And now you're yes. thinking like a software engineer instead of a medical doctor when you're yeah. going to cure disease, which I think is, you know, remarkable. And I, I think for people to understand, you know, sometimes when you're thinking so big and broad because you're a bold thinker, your genius is then being able to get excellent in the details. And, you know, it's doing both of those things because a lot of people, when they apply themselves, they think it's one or the other. You have to think so big and bold, see the overall picture, but then you got to go in and, and master the details. So, you know, kind of Sabrina, kind of, not really. So what happens is you actually stay as a non-expert because you don't want to become too so deep into the thing that people know that you are no longer able to think creatively. So you want to hire the smartest people around you. So this, think what I did. I said, look, who is the guy who developed this technology at Los Alamos National Lab, who is able to take these gene expression called mRNA analysis? I hired him and brought him as a chief science officer. Hired the head of IBM Watson, to come and do the AI for us, remember? So this was the basic part was do the gene expression, so hire the best guy, bring in the AI person, the best thing, and hired recently the global head of R&D from GSK to say, all right, help us with understand. Now that we know all this, how do you go out and solve this problem from a therapeutics perspective? So surround yourself with the experts, and then your job is to challenge them. So every time they tell you it can't be done, you ask them, why can't it be done? And you let them keep explaining it to you. So, well, that makes no sense to me. Tell me why it can't be done. And I can give you some great examples of being such a naive novices where people, when they start explaining it to you, first reaction is it can't be done. Second reaction is, well, I don't know. It's probably possible. And if you keep pushing them, by the time they start explaining it to you, they say, oh my God, it's a brilliant idea. <laughs> and that's really is the phase everyone experts goes through. All right. um, so anyway, that's basically the kind of thinking you have to have is that, you know, you as a non-expert, your job is to actually constantly understand that why experts believe it can't be done. And even though they believe, the, you know, they will tell you they have tried that in the past, it didn't work well. That past is different now because we now have access to different set of information than we had, we had in the past, right? <laughs> Another thing that I found really fascinating, Sabrina, that every entrepreneur struggles is that every time they have a first struggle, the first hurdle, they give up. And... To me, that is the number one thing I learned over the years is that if you believe you are an entrepreneur, you have to believe that you know your life is going to be like your heartbeat. It's going to always go up and down. This only thing that tells you you're alive is when you have a heartbeat. And that, that up and down is what you have to expect and accept. And what that means is when you are down, all you have to do is hunker down know the next beat is going to be up. When you're on top of that beat, never get too arrogant because you know the winter is coming and you'll be down. And just, you want this as a life. When you're looking for a smooth life, you know what the smooth life line looks like? A dead person. Mm -hmm. So when you as a human being say, I want to live a safe, safe, safe life that is completely smooth life, 
you're really asking yourself to live a life of a dead person. Is that a life worth living? Wow, wow, wow. You know, not only, I think what makes you very remarkable is um, your family too, because in today's world where people feel like they're competing with their family and their business, I know the greatest people in business have the greatest families and, you know, they apply their business sense to their family. And I love this uh, story about your daughter. If we can share this with everyone, because when you talk about asking the right questions, I really believe that people are just asking the wrong questions and it keeps them stuck where they are. And for a lot of young people, they're so wrapped up in their passion today right? And your daughter came to you with this problem of, I want to follow my passion and your passion isn't my passion. And then you help to navigate her by asking better questions and stating something about exposure. You know, could you, could you share this? Because for a lot of us, exposure is incredibly important. So if you could share that with helping guiding by asking the right questions, that would be amazing. Thank you, Sabrina. So first of all, I have three children and our oldest uh, is Angkor and he is now on to his third unicorn. So he is focused on really affordability. How do we get the middle class to be able to afford to live in an apartment? How do we get, allow them to actually graduate from there to be able to own a house? So he's literally, how do we get the senior care to actually be delivered at home? So he's focused on completely solving the problem of affordability. So if you were to just Google him, Ankur Jain, A-N-K-U-R, you will see the kind of companies that he's starting are the ones that people say, how old is he? <laughs> I mean, literally solving problems that have, you know, a, in fact, this right here, my entrepreneur boy is right here in this magazine. How do you get, how do you solve the problem that nobody has ever, how to do something no one has ever done, right? And these are the kind of things you see get to do when you believe everything is possible. And he's obviously a Wharton grad and he's just amazingly great entrepreneur. And as good as he was, his sister gives him run for his money. Her, you know, his sister went to Stanford. She's a Stanford graduate, a Stanford STEM fellow, Stanford Mayfield fellow. And the first company she joined was to remove, using AI to remove the gender bias in hiring. And she started her second company now on women's health. So using vaginal microbiome to actually solve all the women's health issues. And this company is called Abby, E-V-V-Y. So if any of the women who are listening to it, Go, go seriously look at every, and I think and every woman owes it to herself to actually go out and understand what's happening in her body. Because, you know, what I didn't realize actually having been in healthcare was almost all research is done on men and the women are considered a small man. And women's body is completely different. So she decided she's going to go focus on actually helping women in terms of the issues that women face. And because they're not just a smaller, lighter man. Right? And so every woman should go look at that. And our youngest one also graduated from Stanford, became a Schwarzman scholar. And he's now working at another company that is looking at fundamentally how to get people to live easier. So he's looking at all of their financial things, including mortgages to make their life simpler, right? So again, looking at very, very different set of problems, but simply finding a problem that can help millions and billions of people live a better life, right? So the story that you're talking about is very interesting. 
when our daughter, she was 16, she came to me and said, dad, I know you love science and technology. I want nothing to do with it. I have found my passion and I want to pursue it. Most parents at that time would say, you know, of course, sweetheart, tell me what your passion is. Let me help you get there. In my mind, I thought that is same as saying, I don't have time. I don't really care. Do whatever you want, right? Mm -hmm. Instead, I told her, I said, sweetie, you're too young to have a passion. You are still in high school. You don't know many of the things that are out there. So if you don't even know what they are, how can you tell me you don't like them? And then she said, dad, I don't understand what you want me to do. And I said, sweetie, I want you to learn about nanotechnology. I want you to learn about neuroscience. I want you to learn about genetics. I want you to learn about artificial intelligence. And then she rolled her eyes and said, dad, didn't you hear a word I just said that I have no interest in science and technology? And I said, no, sweetie, that's not it. I simply want you to not be excited about them, simply be exposed to them to understand what they can do for you. Because once you are, go with an open mind, wanting to like them and wanting to learn, then you will obviously decide whether they are for you or not for you. But you can't go and learn about these things with a closed mind that they, I just don't like them. Right? Interestingly, she spent a month learning about these technologies. That was a fact that if she actually goes and learns about them, she gets to make a decision about what she wants to do. And once she was exposed to them, she came to me and said, dad, I think I made up my mind now. I want to be either a neuroscientist or a genetist because I want to help women. And I did not realize how can I help them if I don't know how their brain works? How can I help them unless I know how their body works? Now imagine if I had let her pursue her passion when she was 16, not only she would have never found her true passion, look at what she's doing, using AI to remove gender bias, using genetics to actually solve women's health problems. Not only she would not have found her true passion, world would have lost out on a great entrepreneur. Right? So by exposing them to different things, you allow the children to actually find things. And what is really amazing to me is what she taught me. What she taught me was that science and technologies not a destination. They are simply the tools for me to do what I wanted to do, which was to help women, right? And I was asking her when she started her women's health company, and I said, hey, how is company going? And you know, her answer was so profound that I have been an entrepreneur for 25 years, I didn't realize. She said, dad, you don't understand the basics of entrepreneurship. I am not starting a company. The job of an entrepreneur is to experiment enough to find out if there is a company here. He said, all I'm doing is simply experimenting to see if there is a business here that I want to start. And you're asking me, how is company doing? You should be asking me, how are my experiments going? Wow. Right? And, and you know, that is what, to me, go ahead, go ahead. No, I think this is uh, really, really powerful because, you know, what it, what it reminds me of is something who you are too, right? Where you don't just stop where you are, you do it again in another form. And, you know, when you went from uh, just being an in information to then going into space to then going into health, you know, my question for you is what makes you not get complacent? 
you know, if you got paid so much money a long time ago, when you sold your company, you could have easily said like, listen, I want to spend time with my family. I want to do the things I want to do, but you didn't, you, you forced yourself to push the envelope in an area that you had no expertise in. You know, I want to, I want to know how you think and, and why did you choose to go and venture off just like your daughter, like do another experiment as opposed to getting, you know, settling and saying, let me enjoy life. I would like to know that from you. Well, first of all, I think uh, they are enjoying life and I am doing what I love doing. So the point is, yes, if you believe the things you are doing is your retirement, things you're doing is exactly what you would do if you had nothing else to do, right? So this is what I would call that every day when you wake up in the morning and if you don't jump out of the bed, you should quit what you're doing. Find what you're willing to die for and then live for it, right? If you're doing things that you believe is your calling, if you find your true North Star, it is not a work. It is a thorough enjoyment that you get every single day. Every day when I wake up, I don't think I am going to work. I read my email and there is at least a dozen emails from people that say, you changed my life. You have saved my wife. You have saved my kids. My daughter was suffering from eczema. It's no longer there. My acne that has been there for 10 years is completely disappeared. I used to have this constipation that I didn't know what to do is gone. I sleep better. I no longer have anxiety. I no longer have depression. Now, I don't know, Sabrina, how many people in the world who would not feel a tremendous amount of joy by watching every day that they are part of that's changing people's lives. That is an amazing amount of joy and happiness you get by doing these things, right? But to answer your question differently, a lot of the parents, when they have the young children and they happen to build wealth, what happens is they seem to somehow think that spending time with children is somehow is going to help the children become better. And they forget from the children's perspective, what we see, right? So this is a great example of my first company was wildly successful beyond anything I could have ever imagined. And I could have easily said, hey, I'm gonna take a couple of years off and I'm going to spend time with the young family. Now imagine what the children would see. Children would say, hey, I go to school at 7.30. I see my dad sitting on the sofa watching CNBC. I come back from work, come back from school, Guess what? My dad says, work hard, go do your homework. Hard work is what it takes to be successful. And I see my dad sitting on the sofa watching CNBC. What I'm hearing in my mind is I want to grow up, be just like my dad, sit on the sofa and watch CNBC. Instead, what they saw was not only dad told them the success is never going to be measured by how much money they have. It'll be measured by how many lives they improved. What they saw dad was doing things that he loved doing and helping people live better. So I started my second company, then started the third company. Then dad goes completely crazy and says, we're going to the moon. And the family says, are you crazy? No private company has gone there. Why do you want to do this? You're going to get bloodied. You're going to absolutely fail. And dad says, let me show you how it's done. Does that. And now dad goes crazy and say at his age, he's going to go start a healthcare company. Dad, Healthcare cannot be disrupted. It was one thing you succeeded in moon, ride into the sunset, you ride high, you don't go ride low. 
dad says, no, 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 no. Let me show you how we can disrupt healthcare. And the reason my point is, the more you do these things, guess what happens? The children are now seeing, it's not about money. They know they don't have to work for a living. Guess what? They are still so hungry to go out and do things because they realize their self-worth does not come from what they own. It comes from what they create. If you are, if you own a lot and you haven't created anything, you're still a parasite on humanity. So don't be ever be a parasite, right? So our legacy is not what I do. It's not about simply leaving a better world for our children. It is also about leaving the better children for the world, so the world will continue to improve. Oh my goodness, this is this is amazing, and I think you know. This is why it's such an honor and privilege to to have met you, to have talked to you. And, you know, for for a lot of people, I would I would just like to, you know, wrap this up and say, you know, why do you have to continue to be curious? Because you you answered this. But I, I really want for people to understand that our you talk about this, like the superpower of an entrepreneur. Why would you say that there is no better time in human history to be in business? You know, because before, and and as I was studying you, Naveen, I I thought like this word came into my head and it was noble, noble. And when you look at the word noble, it, it actually, the first definition is you come from a family or a class that is aristocratic, right? which a lot of people say, well, well, their family is wealthy. This is why they're able to do this, which wasn't your case. But then the second definition is demonstrating fine personal qualities, like moral ideas. And, you know, when I think of a person who is noble, I think you're a noble person with noble cause and your, your family is doing this also. And it has nothing to do with class. It has nothing to do with where you came from. It has everything to do with what's inside of you. So if you could share with people, you know, this is a great time to be alive. It's in fact, the greatest time in human history to be alive. And why, why is it such a great time to be an entrepreneur? Because business is great. And for people to get encouraged by what you have been able to achieve in your lifetime. Well, I think Sabrina, I couldn't have said better. There has never been a better time to be alive, to be an entrepreneur. There has rarely been the confluence of exponential technology that are coming together. That means that, you know, the sensors are becoming cheaper, smaller, faster, better. AI is going to be becoming more and more powerful. Literally every industry that we know is going to get disrupted, whether it's agriculture, whether it's automotive, whether it's real estate, it doesn't matter. Half of the Fortune 500 companies will not be around in the next 10 to 15 years. And guess what? If those companies are dying, the new king is going to be created. What I want every entrepreneur to understand that if someone is ahead of you by five to 10 years, the technology is moving so fast that they are actually very close to being disrupted because in the every four or five years, the technology moves so fast that even the leaders that disrupted the yesterday's leader are now getting disrupted faster and faster and faster, right? Because they are using the old technology and now we have a totally new way of doing things, right? So in fact, if you look at the adoption curve, what used to take the cell phones to get to a million cell phones, it took a lot longer than it took a million people for Facebook. 
or for Snapchat or now Clubhouse, or you start to go, the adoption curve is becoming faster and faster and faster. That means you can, in fact, build a company that could disrupt something that was five, six years before you because they are ripe for disruption. The thing is intellectual curiosity is something that you, as human being, as long as you maintain that intellectual curiosity, as long as you actually convey that intellectual curiosity to your children, that to me is the best gift you can ever give. To me, the day you stop learning is the day you die. The day you stop being curious is the day you die. The intellectual curiosity gives you what if, and what if tells you, God, what would the world look like if you could do this, right? So don't look at the world as is, Look at what the world can be. And that can only come from being curious about why can it be like that, right? I remember when our kids were young, we didn't read them bad time stories. It was a really interesting thing. I would actually come up with them saying, hey, can you tell me a story that connects these disconnected words that have never been connected? I would say, you know, tell me a story about a monkey, an ocean, and a turtle. And now they have to find a way to connect the dots in a way that makes the comprehensive story. And get their brain starts to say, everything can be connected. Every dot is connected somehow. And I wanted them to start thinking like that. Then they would give me the words and say, all right, dad, now you connect the water and the cup and this. Wow, this right. is incredible. You know, and I, I think, you know, Naveen, I just want to say like, more importantly, thank you for your time. Thank you for having the courage to just share with us. Uh, you talk about collaboration a lot. And I just, I really believe that, you know, you're an inspiring story because it's not done yet. And we're, we're waiting to see what's next, but we're not just waiting and watching. Um, I, I really want to be able to be someone to help and assist in making sure that the world is healthier, is wealthier, is better, better than when we first came here. So thank you for reinvesting into the world and giving back. It really means a lot. And, you know, for everyone, I, I highly recommend Viome. And the reason is if you have all the money in the world and you're not healthy, what does it even matter? And so you, our wealth is stored up in our health. And I think you really discovered that. I think you really tapped into that. And I, I love science. I love, it was enjoyable just getting to know you and your journey. So thank you so much for your time today. God bless you and your family and continue to keep rocking the boat and making sure that you create bigger boats and bigger vehicles uh, for, for the world. So thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Stand Alone. If you like what you hear, I'd love if you leave a five-star review. To keep the conversation going, you can find me at I am Sabrina Lloyd or at Lloyd Agencies on Facebook and Instagram.